One Week Season. going on one week season fam jm to win here welcome to the week four 2021 edition of the ows angles podcast i am your host i am your guest jm to win week four let's get started for any of you who are new to this podcast what we basically do is this podcast is treated as something something of a supplement to the player grid, something of a supplement to the NFL edge. But we basically spend anywhere from 15 to 20 to 25 to 30 minutes talking about the overview of the slate and just kind of working through some of the things that the slate is throwing at us in terms of where we can find concentrated or predictable production, where we can find some riskier bets for upside, where we can find some strategy angles, always with first place in mind. As you might have guessed from the beginning of this intro, it is recommended that you listen on 1.5x speed. I know Knowles fan would disagree with me, but uh, that is how I listen to these podcasts back is 1.5x speed and tends to come out pretty nicely that way. After working through the slate, we turn our attention to the bottom-up build, which is where we essentially look for the best values on the slate. But more than that, we look for the best values on the slate through a strategy lens. So not just a strategy lens of how that applies to the, the actual main slate, but also through a lens of if everybody were working with a smaller salary cap than the 50k salary cap, how would we approach things strategically in order to not just capture as much upside as possible, but also capture as many paths to first place as possible. So that functions as a bit of a teaching tool in addition to helping us uncover some of the the better values on the slate. With that intro, which I'm not totally sure why I, I laid out that whole intro here in week four, uh, most of you who are new this year have been in for a week or two or three weeks, and the rest of you have been around for quite a while. So, uh, But it felt like the right time to do that, and it's kind of always fun to define what we're doing uh, to better direct what I'm doing, if that makes sense. So this week is interesting. Let's start from a macro perspective, actually. So this week is interesting from a lot of perspectives. From a macro perspective, we have five games with game totals of 50 plus, which is pretty healthy. We're, we're going to have weeks deeper into the season where there is one game with a 50 plus point game total or maybe even zero games with a 50 plus point game total. Furthermore, and I touched on this obviously in the angles email earlier in the week, but furthermore, these are not 50 plus point game totals that are expected to be blowouts. This is not Texans at Bills with a 50 plus point game total and one team favored by over two touchdowns. Four of these five games have spreads under five points. And the one that doesn't is the Chiefs at the Eagles which has the Chiefs favored by about a touchdown. But the fact that this game is in Philadelphia instead of being in Kansas City 
elevates the chances of this game being relatively close throughout. Also, there's a tendency to oversimplify what we see in these spots, right? So a good example was last week when I heard it multiple times, including on NFL, uh, like official league NFL feeds, right? Like CBS, Fox, NFL Network, whatever it was, uh, talking about the Ravens being such a better team than the Lions and the Ravens being expected to control the game throughout. And obviously that was a reasonable expectation, but it was also important to keep in mind that the Ravens were only favored by, I believe it was six and a half points. So there's a tendency to look at a spot like that and say, oh, this is the better team and to sort of process it the way that we should be processing a game like Texans at Bills with a 17 point spread. When you have a six and a half point spread, that's sure you're saying that this team is much more likely to win the game than the other team. But that's not necessarily a spot where you expect one team to just run away, right? Vegas is hoping to get optimally to get 50% of the money on either side of the bets, which means there's about a 50% chance of that game playing closer than a one touchdown game. And that's not the way that people tend to look at spots like that. So bringing it back to week four, Chiefs at Eagles is a good example of this. It's easy to say, well, the Chiefs are a much better team, but we should also keep in mind that the chances of this game playing within a touchdown are about 50%, which is pretty good, right? Like we shouldn't expect the Chiefs to just be stepping off the gas late in the third quarter in this one. And if they are, it's probably because Patrick Mahomes has done so much already that the Chiefs are able to do that. All of which is to say we really have five games that are at a different level than the other games on the slate. So those five games, of course, are Chiefs at Eagles, Panthers at Cowboys, Browns at Vikings, Cardinals at Rams, and Seahawks at 49ers. So we touch on these games in the player grid. We touch on the plays from these games that I like and the way that I'm kind of approaching these games, including some of the spots that might go a little bit overlooked in some of these games compared to where the field's attention is going to be in other places from these five games. So that's a sort of starting point lay of the land type of view. We also have teams like the Titans who are going against the Jets and are going to be missing both A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, which obviously tightens up where the ball is going to go. They are implied for 25.5 points, so plenty of upside in that offense as well. There are spots like David Montgomery against the Lions. We will get to that in a moment. There are spots like Washington at Atlanta, which the over-under in this game is 47 and a half. So it comes in below these five games at 50 plus, but the spread in this game is one and a half points. And as we're well aware, if this is the spot in which the Falcons offense finally comes together. Now, there aren't many signs that point to this finally being the spot, but we're not there in practice throughout the week. We don't see what this team is working on. We don't see how this team is developing and adapting and figuring out what they're doing wrong and so on and so forth. If this is the week in which the Falcons offense puts things together, we know that the Falcons defense is going to have a hard time stopping opponents. So there's certainly opportunity for that game to be one of the sneakier games on this slate that ends up producing some nice fantasy scoring. 
We have the Packers projected or, or implied for 26 points at home against the Steelers. Uh, and we have the aforementioned Buffalo Bills as 17-point favorites at home against the Texans, carrying the highest Vegas-implied team total on the slate. So that kind of gives us a sense of what you're working against if you move outside of those spots. So if you are looking at this slate and you're thinking, okay, maybe there's some plays from the Giants versus the Saints that I could go to. Maybe there are some plays from the Colts at the Dolphins that I could go to. If you are digging into spots like that, that's not to say that there cannot be a tournament winning score that comes from those spots. That does not mean that those games can't play out much differently than their likeliest way to play out. But you have to think about what else you're competing against on the slate. With five games that have an over-under of 50 plus points, it's relatively likely that two or three of those games top 50 points. It's relatively likely then that some big fantasy scores come from those games. So if you move away or move too far away from those games, you can put yourself at a disadvantage because you not only have to guess correctly in less likely spots, but you also have to guess correctly on plays that can keep pace with or optimally exceed the scoring the individual player production that you could have gotten from those other spots and that the field will be getting from those other spots. So that's sort of the overview of how this slate shapes up for us. As we drill down a couple layers into pricing and actual roster construction and how things could come together this week, it's a sort of challenging week on DraftKings, it's a week in which you have to be willing to let go of that desire for certainty a little bit and embrace a bit of additional uncertainty. When we get to the bottom of build, we will talk through some of the places where we can intelligently embrace uncertainty this week, both in terms of players who haven't produced yet or have not hit the expectations that people had for them and therefore will go under own and can therefore open up some paths to upside that the field will not be getting. And in terms of intelligent, cheaper value that can keep us on track for a first place finish that obviously we're talking about inherent risk when we go to value plays, but at least if this risk comes with actual tournament winning upside, then we're positioning ourselves better than the people who are just taking on some value piece, hoping to get a few points from them in order to fit in the higher priced pieces that they like more. Before we get to that, let's talk about these higher priced pieces this week. And in this discussion, we'll leave out quarterback because we're going to get to quarterback in the player grid, and, and then we'll touch on the lower-priced guys here in the bottom-up build. But going over, we'll skip over running back for the moment and go over to wide receiver, where I think it's very interesting that this week, of the 10 highest-priced wide receivers on DraftKings, nine of them are directly accounted for in the player grid. And a 10th one, DeAndre Hopkins, is accounted for in, in us looking to say essentially, well, if he gets shut down or slowed down by Jalen Ramsey, what does that mean for the rest of this offense? So essentially all 10 of the highest price wide receivers are accounted for. 
with nine of them being specifically highlighted as guys I'm interested in this week. So that tells us two things. One, it tells us that all of the higher priced wide receivers are in play. But it also tells us that no one wide receiver from this group really separates from the other wide receivers from this group. So Tyreek Hill is probably not a guy I'm going to be focused on this week while focusing on eight or fewer total builds because uh, we'll get to Kelsey in a moment, but because I'm interested in Kelsey and because the Eagles entire defense is designed around preventing downfield passing, which has led to them being picked apart underneath. So not that Tyreek Hill can't hit for a huge game, but just to say that the Chiefs who are very good at taking what the defense gives them, the Chiefs are less likely to be aggressively attacking downhill with downfield with Tyreek Hill, which lowers his chances of a tournament winning game. But again, Tyreek Hill is always, always in the mix. Devontae Adams, we know how high his target count can go, but especially if Marquez Valdez-Scantling misses this game, and especially with the fact that the Steelers are generally going to be good at stopping the run, it creates opportunity for the Steelers to sell out to stop Devontae Adams and say, look, we can neutralize Aaron Jones just with our good run defense. And if we sell out to stop Devontae Adams and... The Packers don't really have anybody else who can step into that alpha or even beta type role in the passing attack. That gives us our best chance at winning. So Devontae Adams, enormous upside, enormous target potential, as I mentioned in the NFL Edge right up for this game. The Packers move Devontae Adams around enough, including enough pre-snap motion to creatively get him open. Then he's still going to get his targets. He's still going to get some, some yards and have touchdown opportunities, but his chances of breaking the slate of putting up 40 plus points are lower. Cooper Cup, we've never seen him at the $7,800 price tag. It's a little bit tough to stomach that as a true floor ceiling play just because he has three super hot games with Matthew Stafford. Chances are there's going to be a point where he disappoints. Chances are there's going to be a point where he comes in with a 12, 13 point game. Probably not this week, but that has to be accounted for when we're thinking about Cooper Cup up at this price range where he's next to guys like Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, who have a long history of putting up 40 plus points from time to time. Stefan Diggs, we uh, there's plenty to like in this matchup. There's plenty to like from a volume plus upside perspective as Hilo laid out in the game breakdown in the NFL edge for this one. We should still expect around 40 passing attempts for Josh Allen. And it seems likely, similar to what I was saying last week with DK Metcalf, it seems likely in this spot that, okay, if you're the Bills and you have this game in control, but it's early enough that you're still passing, what are you probably going to do? You're probably going to try to get Stefan Diggs going after he's had three sort of down games. Justin Jefferson is next up in the pricing list in a great game environment with the Browns. Should be a back and forth game. Justin Jefferson has the most upside of these wide receivers in this game. And then we have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett against the 49ers, another one of the top game environments on the slate, an attackable secondary at the moment, and a game that should force each offense to get increasingly more aggressive as the game goes along. Uh, And then we have Calvin Ridley and Terry, Terry McLaurin opposite each other in a game environment bet where you can say, If Matt Ryan gets going this week, it's going to be through Calvin Ridley. And if the Falcons are doing well, we talk about this in the player grid, but if the Falcons are doing well, then that 
elevates the passing rate for the Washington football team and increases the chances of Terry McLaurin having a big game, making this a really nice combo play where I wouldn't play Calvin Ridley off of Terry McLaurin rosters. And I wouldn't play Terry McLaurin off of Calvin Ridley rosters. But if one of these guys is hitting, it elevates the chances of the other guy hitting as well. Put it all together and we have a bunch of guys who are clumped up in this probably put up 30, 31, 32 points if they hit their high end range and, you know, probably do what any wide receiver would do in a spot where they don't get all the yards and don't get the touchdowns or whatever. Maybe it's 12 points, maybe it's 15 points, maybe it's 18 points, whatever it might be for these different guys. But basically, none of these guys really separate from the pack and none of these guys stand out as the guy who you would say is likeliest to put up that score that would just totally bury you for not having them. So when that's the case, one of the things that I want to do is not waste a bunch of time and mental energy trying to guess among those plays. In other words, I'm I understand that my chances of getting top wide receiver wrong on my rosters are higher than they would be in other weeks, but that I could spend four or five hours digging into things and I could come up with reasons why this guy's the best player, this guy's the best player, this guy's the best play. But realistically, if we played out this slate a hundred times, I wouldn't actually be getting any closer to the answer of who the best play from this group is. So that leaves me then thinking more through strategy in terms of how these guys are put onto a roster, what I'm wanting to bet on, where the highest likelihood of a big game is, or in the case of McLaurin and Ridley, thinking like, okay, well, maybe one of my eight builds gets dedicated to a Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Terry McLaurin stack, and then I don't worry about these guys on other rosters. So again, thinking game environment, thinking about how you're putting these pieces together from that standpoint as well. Uh, If we move over to running back, same as wide receiver, actually, there are some viable guys in this sort of 5k to low 6k range. But we also have Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, who are all in really good spots at the higher end of the price range, or I should say who all have big upside at the higher end of the price range. So Four reasons that I touched on in the NFL edge. Alvin Kamara is not in my late week player pool, but Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook each are. We'll hit on those guys in the player grid. Uh, Each guy comes with plenty of ceiling, but neither guy really separates from those high-priced wide receivers. Neither guy makes you say, well, the smartest place to spend salary is over here at running back because these guys are likelier to hit than these wide receivers and then there's better value at wide receiver. However, we might be able to sort of narrow down the approach that's most optimal from a build perspective. Uh, That just sort of doesn't exist this week. So once again, we have guys who can go for 30 plus points, but have a lower than normal likelihood. Basically, if we take all these 7K to 8K plus players, they all have a lower likelihood than normal of going for 40 points, or I should say as a group, it's less likely than normal that we get a 40-point score from this group. This could lead us to say, well, maybe we just go with a more balanced roster across the board. But as we get down to these sort of 5K, 6K players, there aren't a lot of these guys who have monster upside. Now, as you think through all of this, keep in mind the players who do have monster upside become that much more valuable. So we touch on a player like not only Debo Samuel, 
but also Brandon Ayuk in the player grid. These are guys who could go for 30 points. Robert Woods, 5,300 on DraftKings, is a guy who could go for 30 points. David Montgomery, Antonio Gibson, Chubba Hubbard, these are guys who could go for 30 points. So as we sort of look at this slate and we recognize, well, there aren't a ton of great mid-priced options. And the high-priced options are the best plays on the slate this week, but there's a lower than normal, normal, lower than normal likelihood of one of these guys just totally burying you for not having them. And there's not a lot that really separates one guy from the other in terms of likelihood of hitting their ceiling. It, it then starts to become very important that our mid-priced bets are as game environment focused as we can make them and that they have as much upside as we can collect, recognizing that some of our high-priced guys could end up missing, that that's a, a higher likelihood this week than it might be in some other weeks because it's harder to really narrow things down to, quote, the best plays or the sharpest plays, which sort of leaves us more saying, look, I am going to recognize that there's a little bit more guesswork this week than there might be in other weeks. And I'm going to try to account for that by making sure that my mid-priced guys are, are that there's a heavy emphasis on my rosters among mid-priced players of big upside to, you know, if my high-priced guys hit, that can boost me to first place. If my high-priced guys disappoint or underwhelm, that can at least keep me in the money and, and put me in position for a good weekend based on the scores that I'm getting from these mid-priced guys. The last thing that becomes really interesting here is there's just not a lot of value on this week's slate. So as we look to value, there are a couple ways we can go, and we'll actually use this to roll over into the bottom-up build. There are a couple ways we could go. We could go for the guys who just sort of have a nice, steady production floor, or we could embrace some additional uncertainty by trying to find the guys who could go for a huge game, albeit at higher risk. So with that, let's turn our attention to this week's bottom-up build. For any of you who are new, we are not looking for the value plays that we can stomach. Instead, we're looking at the value plays that give us an opportunity for a First place finish, the value plays that could end up being difference makers for us on the slate, the guys who we can actually feel comfortable rolling into Sunday with these guys on our rosters. Typically, I end up sort of seeing how much value I can squeeze out of these rosters. But one of the things that I thought has been really cool lately is seeing in Dustin's bottom-up build breakdown uh, in the reflection scroll at the start of each week. The winners of the most recent bottom-up build contests have, so for the bottom-up build contest, for any of you who don't play it, we do a 44k salary cap. And the recent winners of the bottom-up build contest have been paying up at quarterback. And so looking at this slate, right, so typically I would go with Zach Wilson here and I would just figure out how much salary we have left over. But this week I wanted to adjust and say, okay, I'm going to give myself a 44K salary cap and say, how would I build for a 44K salary cap this week? So after messing around with things, what I ended up doing was moving. So I like Zach Wilson and I like Matt Ryan. And I think that both guys have let's say, 22 to 27-point DraftKings 
upside. And that's pretty good at their price tags. 5K for Zach Wilson, 5,400 for Matt Ryan. But when we talk about if we were actually given 44K in salary and where we would maximize our certainty and also maximize our upside sort of across the board. One of the best things we can do, obviously, is look for these rushing quarterbacks, these guys who have that extra upside with their legs. And so on this roster, I went up to Jalen Hurts at 6,900, essentially saying that if I were working with a smaller salary cap, One of the places where I would want to prioritize spending, particularly on this week, and particularly because we have this additional uncertainty at the higher end of the price range, where we're not only saying we have fewer, we have a lower likelihood of getting a a 38 to 40 point score from this group, but also kind of all these guys are in play, which doesn't allow us to really narrow things down. It's not to say that these individual plays are iffier than normal, but because there are so many of them to choose from, you're more likely than normal to end up on the play that misses than you are to end up on the play that hits. So I am prioritizing quarterback salary this week on the bottom up build and then also on my roster. So if I build eight rosters this week, I'm expecting to have potentially one Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and Terry McLaurin build potentially one Zach Wilson and Jamison Crowder or one Zach Wilson and Corey Davis build. And then to otherwise be spending up a quarterback on Matthew Stafford, Jalen Hurts, and potentially Patrick Mahomes. Uh, We've also touched on this week, and we touch on also in the player grid, that there are reasons to believe that Jalen Hurts has the highest probability of leading the slate in quarterback rushing yards this week. If we take the other quarterbacks who would typically be in that mix, well, Kyler Murray has four games against the Rams in his career, and he has averaged 11.5 rushing yards per game in those four games. We know what the Rams are going to try to do. They're going to try to contain Kyler Murray, and they're going to try to take out DeAndre Hopkins, and they're going to try to force him to win through the air without his best receiver. And the Rams are a defense that's capable of doing that. So that's not to say that Kyler Murray can't break off a 60-yard run, but it is to say that his chances of doing that are lower in this spot. Let's go to Josh Allen. The Bills are not likely to take their foot off the gas in the third quarter. They're going to keep playing into the you know midway through the fourth quarter. And then if they have a huge lead, they will slow things down from there. But That doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get a bunch of Josh Allen runs because if the Texans are not able to get to Josh Allen, if they're not able to flush him out of the pocket, it it would be much likelier that this ends up being a game where Josh Allen just sort of sits back and picks apart the Texans through the air. Still gives him plenty of upside for a huge game, but it becomes less likely that he picks up a bunch of yards on the ground. Uh, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, they can move around, but they're not really running the ball that much at this point in their respective careers. And Lamar Jackson is playing against the Broncos in Denver. Just a tough all-around environment, especially with the injuries to, you know, how decimated the Ravens' backfield is, essentially, to where it seems likely that Vic Fangio will create his entire defensive game plan around forcing Lamar Jackson to win through the air. Now, if anybody is going to beat Jalen Hurts in total rushing yardage, it's certainly... 
Lamar Jackson has the best shot just because they use him in schemed runs and basically as a running back so often in that offense. But put it all together and Jalen Hurts has a really good shot at topping the slate in rushing yards, which he pretty much needs because he's not that great of a quarterback in terms of accuracy and decision making and all of that. But in a game where we expect Philadelphia to be behind and chasing points against a team that's best attacked on the ground with this Eagles offense, not really designing things so far, at least to be attacking on the ground with their running backs. uh, It makes a lot of sense to expect Jalen Hurts to put up 40, 50, 60 rushing yards in this spot. And if he can add 225, 250 passing yards, a couple touchdowns through the air to go with those 50 or 60 rushing yards and a touchdown on the ground. He's now putting himself in position for a 30 point game, which on this week, when there's not going to be uh, a ton of people going over 30 points, I'm less concerned with saying, you know, basically we're saying, hey, look, Josh Allen's going to get his points through the air. Kyler Murray's going to get his points through the air. What are the chances of those guys going for 35, 38, 40 points? You know, basically sort of across the board, we already touched on wide receiver and running back. Basically across the board, we're expecting most guys to be capped at 30 points. Now, if you can find that 40 point score this week, if there is one, or if you can find two 40 point scores this week, if there are a couple of them, you can you can put yourself in position to be in great shape for first place because there won't be there more than likely won't be a bunch of those scores available. So as you're building, definitely think about, hey, where could I get a 40 point score, a 50 point score? Is it Derrick Henry against the Jets? Is it Devontae Adams just based on volume, right? Like these are things we want to think about as we're building and recognizing what this slate offers. But but I also say that to say when I'm narrowing down my quarterback pool and I'm saying, look, I can see Jalen Hurts having a pretty clear shot at 30 points. Well, it's harder to see him putting up 35 points, 38 points, 40 points, but I recognize that there aren't going to be many of those scores. So I'm willing to take a little bit of extra savings on Hurts compared to Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and target a 30-point score from Hertz while saving about 1K in salary that I can use in other spots. So that's the way I'm looking at things on the in the 50K salary cap game. And then obviously in the 44K salary cap game that we're playing here, uh, Hertz gives us a lot more upside than basically any of the quarterbacks priced below him. So Jalen Hertz at 6,900 is where I ended up going at quarterback this week. At running back, there are a few different guys who have nice potential for 30 points and are priced at or below or around 6K on DraftKings. A few players who fit into that category and are not on this build. Kareem Hunt in that good game environment against Minnesota. Daryl Henderson, who I will have some of this week, I expect, just from a bet on Rams offense perspective and hope that the touchdowns come on the ground instead of through the air. So if I'm going to have multiple Rams passing attack rosters. I want to balance that out by saying what I'm really doing is betting on this offense. And so the likeliest way for the Rams passing attack to fail is not for this offense to fail, but is instead for the touchdowns to come on the ground. So I want to account for that as well. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, who if he returns for the 49ers should go totally overlooked, but we know that Raheem Mostert is out and we know that this 
coaching staff really doesn't appear to trust Trey Sermon. And watching Trey Sermon last week, it's not that surprising why, because he looked pretty slow and tentative in the backfield. Uh, So one would expect that Elijah Elijah Mitchell would have an opportunity to step right back into 20 touches in this spot if he's healthy, if he's playing this week, and he's priced at only 5K. Uh, And then the last running back who's not on this list is Chubba Hubbard. Now, Hubbard is actually my second favorite, maybe even my favorite from this group. Let's call it second favorite. And so it's for strategy reasons that he is not on this build. And I will talk about that in just a moment. But first, the first running back, the guy who's probably my favorite in this range is David Montgomery. David Montgomery played 82% of the snaps last week for the Bears. Damian Williams played only 15.5% of the snaps in a game where the Bears were behind basically the whole time. As noted throughout the week, the Bears gave David Montgomery 30-plus touches multiple times down the stretch last year. As we've seen, this Bears team does not trust Justin Fields. And if Justin Fields is starting, they're not likely to try to win this game against the Lions through the air with a pass-heavy approach. Frankly, if Andy Dalton starts, they're also not that likely to try to win this game through the air with a pass-heavy approach. The Lions are very easily attacked on the ground. The Lions are aggressive. The Lions are playing, you could say, playing with heart. But that doesn't change the fact that they are going to be an attackable team for running backs throughout the season. So David Montgomery, who has... 20 touch, I I won't say 20 touch floor, because it's easy to overestimate the chances of a player getting the number of touches that we expect. But in most reasonable scenarios for this game, he's going to touch the ball 20 times. And he has clear upside for 25 touches, 26 touches, 27 touches, 30 touches, which is not something you can say from most players in this price range, especially not in a great matchup. So is the offense dysfunctional for the Bears? Yes. Is the coaching staff dysfunctional for the Bears? Yes. But David Montgomery lines up really well in this spot. And at 5,800, he goes on the bottom up build without question and is also one of my favorite pieces on the slate from a price considered standpoint. The running back who is on this roster instead of Hubbard is Antonio Gibson. So I said strategy here. And so let's wrap in the entire strategy. So as we build this roster, one of the things we like to do is not just talk about who the best value plays are, but also talk about if everyone had this same salary cap, in this case, we're saying 44K in salary, what would we do to outmaneuver the field? How can we use this to help us understand proper DFS theory, roster construction approaches for targeting a first place finish? Well, if Everyone's working with a 44K salary cap. We know a lot of people are going to be spending in this same general running back range. At this point in the week, as we're building this roster, we don't know if Elijah Mitchell is going to be playing or not. So we can't just separate by going cheaper. And when you get below Elijah Mitchell, you get into some really thin plays. What are you going to do? Play Michael Carter and hope that he gets all the touches for the Jets backfield this week and hope that the Jets backfield scores enough points that Michael Carter ends up being a productive running back. Or are you going to pay up at running back? Well, we can't do that because we've decided to pay up at quarterback. And so one of the things that we want to do is look for a way to be 
different from the field. And if we would expect most people to have David Montgomery and Hubbard on their running back in this 44K salary cap game, we want to be a little bit different. In And we can do that in two different ways. One is playing Antonio Gibson instead of Hubbard. Well, let's say three different ways. One is playing Antonio Gibson instead of Hubbard. Two is recognizing that Gibson will still be relatively popular in this price range. And so let's pair him with Kyle Pitts at tight end. We'll get to that in a moment, tight end, Kyle, Kyle Pitts, etc. But then the third thing we can do is we can ask ourselves where the expectations of the field are most fragile, where the expectations of the field are likeliest to break. So the expectations of the field in their mind, in the mind of the field, it te- they tend to be pretty robust. It's rare that everybody is thinking the same way and then also thinking, oh yeah, but this could very easily fail. And yet every play, no matter how popular, has paths to failure. So when we can find the popular play that has the most paths to failure or that is the most fragile, it can benefit us to directly attack that on our rosters. So rather than just saying, we will fade Hubbard on this roster and go to Antonio Gibson to get lower ownership, another thing we can also do is say, if everyone is so gung-ho about betting on Sam Darnold, a Sam Darnold-led offense, that just lost its best player in Christian McCaffrey going on the road, maybe we can capture a nice little edge in our quest for first place by betting against everybody being right there. So is the Cowboys defense, the defense likeliest to pop on the lower ends of the price range? Probably not. But when we put it all together, adding Cowboys defense onto a roster that Fades Chubba Hubbard gives us a nice additional edge in saying, what's the likeliest way for Hubbard to fail? Well, one way is for all the points to go through DJ Moore, who will also be very popular this week. But another way is for Sam Darnold to just have a Sam Darnold game to make some mistakes. Uh, I think he has four fumbles on the year already. Uh, Most of them have been recovered by the Panthers, so it's not popping out to people, right? But this is still Sam Darnold. There are still times where he is holding onto the ball too long. There are still times when he is processing far too slowly. And there is clear opportunity for the Cowboys defense to be a pretty nice piece this week at only 2,600. So not only are the Cowboys in play on this bottom up build, but they're one of the cheap defenses that I will be considering this week. I will have Hubbard exposure, but on non-Hubbard rosters, I will also be considering the Cowboys defense as a way to not only save salary, but also double up that bet by saying, look, not only do I not have Hubbard on this roster, but I am betting on one of the ways in which Hubbard could fail hurting the rosters that have him and helping me at the same time. So that gives us this starting point of Jalen Hurts, David Montgomery, Antonio Gibson, Kyle Pitts, and the Cowboys defense. There are four wide receivers on this roster, but before we get to those four wide receivers, I want to come back to Kyle Pitts real quickly. So there are some very cheap tight ends that that you could bet on this week. And if Pitts has another... 10 or 12 point game. And we don't know if Kittle's going to play, but let's say Kittle doesn't play 
Well, then that takes off another guy who can go for a big score. And even if Kittle plays, we know that his usage is very up and down in this San Francisco offense. So just because Kittle's out there doesn't mean he's putting up at least 15 points. Kittle could easily put up an eight-point game in this spot against Seattle, and it wouldn't surprise anybody. Mark Andrews has ceiling, but also a very low floor. TJ Hawkinson has ceiling, but in this matchup where we know that the Bears are just going to do everything they can to force the Lions to win in some other way. He has a very low floor. So we put it all together. It's not unrealistic that we could see Travis Kelsey go for 25 points and no other tight end go for 15 or more points, or I should say no other tight end top 15 points. If that were to end up happening, two things come into play here. One, everybody who has Kelsey is way ahead of the field regardless of the fact they had to spend so much in salary to get him, just because everybody has to play one tight end on their roster. So if everybody has to play one tight end on their roster and 20% of the rosters are getting 30 points and everybody else is getting between 5 and 15 points, those 20% of rosters that have 30 points are now in great shape. So sure, they have less salary to spend in other places. As we talked about on Inner Circle this week, part of the reason why we worry about what types of score we're targeting at different salaries is because DraftKings pricing is really good. It is really sharp. So yes, it's going to be harder now to make up those points elsewhere if you spin up for Kelsey, but just that positional advantage of getting that many more points at one position than everybody else is getting is so valuable that there is a case to be made for just going up to Kelsey this week. It's certainly something I'm going to be considering on a number of my rosters. If I'm not going up to Kelsey, I want to think of one of two things. Either one, who is the player who could get up to that type of score? So there are a few guys in this 5K to 6K price range. We hit on, I think, all of them just now. But Kyle Pitts is the one who continues to stand out because his usage continues to point to an imminent breakout. I have said this many times this season. Hopefully, I will not have to say it many times more. But we had to wait several weeks for the Darren Waller breakout in his breakout year. We had to wait half a season last year for the Logan Thomas breakout. It should eventually come with Kyle Pitts. Uh, One of the things that the Falcons were talking about this week is just how frequently defenses have designed their defense around taking out Kyle Pitts. Well, The Falcons don't really have weapons outside of Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts right now, which makes it that much easier for a defense to do that. But the Falcons offense is doing everything they can to try to scheme Kyle Pitts into big plays and leverage the talent that he has uh, and the upside that he's capable of providing them with. So if I'm not going up to Kelsey, I don't want to take the... Basically, if I'm not going up to Kelsey, I want to make sure that I am trying to get a similar type of score. 20 points, 22 points, 25 points, 30 points from the tight end I'm going to. Or the other thing I could do is bet on a scenario in which all these 5K guys disappoint. And then I would just say, look, if if Kyle Pitts and Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson and all these guys are going for 15 or fewer points, well, I will try to take the 3K tight end who could get me to 15 points or 10 points and just say, sure, I don't get the points from Kelsey, but at least I'm saving some salary at tight end and not getting these 
15 points from these mid-range guys, but instead of getting 15 points, 10, 15 points while saving salary. So basically three different ways we could go that we could attack tight end. And those are the thought processes behind each. But on this bottom up build, the way that I want to go is say, look, I'm targeting first place. Who can actually get me 30 points? Well, Kyle Pitts can. Kyle Pitts' ownership should continue to trend downward as he as his price remains the same and as he continues to disappoint and as this Falcons offense continues to look awful. Uh, so Kyle Pitts at 5K, opposite Antonio Gibson. On this roster, I'm able to say, look, let's bet on this game environment. Let's bet on Washington taking lead. Let's bet on Antonio Gibson picking up yards and touchdowns as Washington just keeps running against Atlanta. And let's bet on Atlanta being forced to pass, which it's sad that we have to say that because this team is so obviously built to be a pass-heavy team, and yet they've been a lot more balanced than I expected them to be so far this season. So we can then say, okay, Antonio Gibson is racking up points because Washington is playing with a lead, which forces Atlanta to keep passing, which increases the chances of Kyle Pitts putting up one of these 25 to 30 point games. So that is how we end up with Jalen Hurts, David Montgomery, Antonio Gibson, Kyle Pitts, and the Cowboys defense. At wide receiver, I have a pair of pairings, one of which is from a sort of mediocre game environment and one of which is from a great game environment. So we'll start with the mediocre game environment. And this gets kicked off by Nick Westbrook-Ikini, who last week had a costly fumble, uh, the week before had a costly roughing the punter penalty, but last week also stepped in as the dominant wide receiver when A.J. Brown and Julio Jones were both out. Uh, Ikini is six foot two. Uh, bigger bodied, which sort of fits the prototype of not only what this offense is built around, but also what Ryan Tannehill uh, very specifically likes and has made it clear to the organization. These are the types of wide receivers he feels most comfortable throwing to. So we should keep in mind that the Titans are likely to control this game. We should keep in mind that just because Westbrook Akini is stepping in for Julio and AJ Brown doesn't mean he's going to see nine to 10 targets. Now he could, but that would be an outlier expectation in this spot. But it's not as if the Titans are going to come out and throw the ball 18 times either. It's likely that they're going to throw the ball enough that Westbrook Akini sees somewhere between five and seven looks in this spot. So at 3,200 on a week without a ton of value available, he provides a relatively nice floor and he has paths to ceiling. He could get a touchdown. He could have a broken play for a big play. It's unlikely that he's going to reach the 100-yard bonus, but there could be some crazy things that happen that lead to him hitting that type of score or I should say that type of on-field production. And so there are a lot of different ways that this play comes together to say, look, this is not the play that's going to win me a tournament, but this could open the door for the plays that could win me the tournament. In other words, if there's not a ton of great value on this slate, the guy who could get me 10 to 12 points with 
clear paths to 20 points, 22 points, 25 points, while opening up extra salary to sort of pay up for some of these 30-point scorers, uh, ends up gaining some value. So Nick Westbrook-Hakini probably won't go totally overlooked this week, but because of the unknowns of him as a player and because of the unknowns of this Titans offense, he also probably won't be super popular this week either. So he's an interesting piece at 3,200 in this same game. One of the things I've talked about throughout the week is, well, I said it like this in the player grid. If Zach Wilson had a good offensive line, he would probably be playing at about a level that would have his price tag 500 to 900 higher. So in other words, instead of being priced at 5K, he would probably be priced at about 5,500 to 5,900. Well, this week, against the Titans pass rush, it almost functions like Zach Wilson having a good offensive line, which opens opportunities for the Jets to have one of their rare good games. Corey Davis is playing against his old teammates. Corey Davis is Zach Wilson's favorite target. Corey Corey Davis is the best wide receiver on this Jets team. And we've already seen Corey Davis have target counts of 7 and 10 in two of the first three games this season. So Corey Davis at 5K on this roster that already has a Titans player. And so basically allowing us to lower our effective ownership of Westbrook Akini by pairing him with another player in this game where the two players work well together and will be a lower owned pairing than Westbrook Akini will be on his own. Uh, so Corey Davis at 5K is a player who's interesting to me. I have a few more thoughts on him and Jamison Crowder in the player grid this week. So check that out as well. And then the other wide receiver pairing is we're talking about trying to find 30 plus points, right? So you'll notice that I have Corey Davis, who is 5K. Uh, I am about to touch on this next wide receiver who's 5,300. And this roster does not have Robert Woods, who is also 5,300 this week. Robert Woods is a better play than either of these guys. Robert Woods is definitely one of the strong value guys to consider this week. But there is a reason on this roster why Robert Woods is not on it, because we wanted to stay under a 44K salary cap. And you'll see here in just a moment what we did in order to capture the upside from this game without having the available salary to spend on Robert Woods. But before we look at that, a couple of the other pieces this week who do also have nice upside and are affordable. All of these guys come with risk. All of these guys come with low floor. All of these guys come with question marks and relatively low probabilities of hitting their ceiling. But that's sort of what this slate provides us with. So all of these guys are in the mix to one extent or another, or I should say at least all warrant some level of mention. We've already talked about Brandon Ayuk. We also touch on him in the player grid. Jalen Waddell is going to get a lot of targets. The there, it would be easy to overrate the number of targets he got last week because the Dolphins ran 83 plays, and they're much likelier to run about 63 plays in this spot. So Waddle's 13 targets from last week is not something that we should bank on seeing again. But seven, eight, nine targets is a good bet for him. Will Fuller has slate-breaking upside, even though he would have to rely on Jacoby Brissett in order to get there. Jalen Ragor is a guy who I almost put on this build 
to pair with Jalen Hurts. I talk about him in the player grid and I talked about him in the NFL edge as well as just a guy who's seen targets is on the field in a game where Philadelphia is going to be passing. Uh, the other Cardinals wide receivers, we'll get to one of them here in just a moment. Uh, and then if we want to get a little bit freaky and weird, we can get down to 3,900 where Darnell Mooney is in this really bad Bears offense, but has way more upside than his 3900 price tag would indicate. Uh, there are a few other guys down here who are not just totally dead in the water and can also be considered, but those are the guys who stand out to me. The guys I am putting onto this roster, however, and who I will also have some exposure to this week, are Christian Kirk and Van Jefferson. So as I was building this roster and deciding that I was going to spend only 44K, or I should say 44K or less, I got to a point where I had to basically downgrade from Robert Woods or downgrade from Jalen Hurts. So if I were playing this roster for safety, I would downgrade from Jalen Hurts. I would go to maybe Matt Ryan or I would go to Zach Wilson, likelier to Zach Wilson because of the way this roster is built. I would go down to Zach Wilson. That would free up some extra salary. I could go up to Robert Woods and actually have a little bit of extra money to spend up in another spot as well. But if we're talking about targeting first place in a tournament, sometimes we have to let go of floor a little bit in order to embrace some additional ceiling. So Van Jefferson was on the field last week. This stat is in the player grid. I think it was 50 out of 65 snaps for the Rams. Saw six targets last week. He is on the field enough and getting enough downfield work that he has a higher ceiling than he has shown so far this year. It won't be surprising if Van Jefferson has one or two Marquez Valdez Scantling games this year, or one game, one or two games like what Deshaun Jackson put up last week. So what I essentially did on this roster was I said, I want to bet on this Cardinals and Rams game environment, but I don't have the salary to get up to Cooper Cup. I don't have the salary to get up to Robert Woods. So what I'm going to do, I took Christian Kirk on this roster, which is basically saying, okay, the Cardinals are going to have to pass. The Rams are going to try to contain Kyler Murray and force him to win through the air. And the Rams are going to try to force the Cardinals to play 10 on 10 football without DeAndre Hopkins. In other words, hey, let's put Jalen Ramsey on DeAndre Hopkins, neutralize him as much as we can, and see if the Cardinals can beat us 10 on 10 with their other players. Well, that elevates target expectations for A.J. Green, for Rondell Moore, and for Christian Kirk. We know that A.J. Green has less explosiveness than Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore, and we know that Rondell Moore is a part-time player still at the moment. So put it all together, the ceiling is a little bit higher on Kirk and the floor is substantially higher on Kirk than it is on Rondell Moore. The ceiling is substantially higher on Kirk than it is on A.J. Green. That is to say, Christian Kirk could legitimately put up a 32, 35-point game, whereas A.J. Green is kind of capped at this like 20 to 22-point, if everything comes together, type of game. So Christian Kirk is the guy I want to bet on in this game environment on this roster from the Cardinals. That's not to say that I'm cutting the other guys out of my builds this week. I'm going to be building a number of rosters around that game game, and I could have exposure to a number of different players. But the guy I would start with is Christian Kirk. And on this particular roster, we end up with a very unique
unique and interesting pairing where we're betting on this game environment paying off while recognizing that, hey, we can't afford necessarily the top plays from this game environment, but let's get guys who are on the field. Let's embrace some uncertainty in our quest for first place. Uh, And with that thinking sort of in the background for this discussion, Van Jefferson is also interesting in, in 50K salary cap structure because this is a week without a ton of great value. And some of the value like Westbrook Hakini, you're, you're taking him and saying, look, I think he can get 10, 12 points. I think he can get five catches for 50 yards. And let's hope for a touchdown. Let's hope for a broken play. Let's hope I get up to 18 points, 20 points. And which at 3,200, especially on this week with, with what this slate gives us, that's great. But Van Jefferson is the kind of guy who, yes, he could get you three points, but he could also get you 25, 28 points if everything goes just right. Uh, he's in a game environment that you're, you're already wanting to bet on anyway, and he's going to be on the field. And so that's sort of that Cubs fan thinking of what game's going to have a bunch of points and which players are just on the field in those games. Sometimes that's the best way to target some additional upside is these guys where, look, we're embracing uncertainty, we're taking on a lower floor, but there are clear paths to them actually contributing to a tournament win instead of just clear paths to them being adequate and opening up salary for other guys who can contribute to a tournament win. So to say that differently, if Van Jefferson goes for 25 plus points, not only are you getting those 25 plus points, but at the same time, he's allowing you more freedom with your salary to get other guys who have a stronger potential of 25 to 30 plus points, uh, thereby putting you on a clearer path to first place, especially because most people building around this game will not be building with Van Jefferson. If Van Jefferson is having a big game, he's taking away points from the more popular players on the Rams. So it helps you in a ton of different ways, making him a very interesting play this week. Put it all together, we spent 43.8K in salary. We have Jalen Hurts at quarterback with nothing else from that Kansas City-Philadelphia game on this roster. We have David Montgomery at running back. We have Antonio Gibson as our second running back tied in with Kyle Pitts from that same game. Uh, And then the Cowboys defense to play additional leverage off of the fact that we are going with Montgomery and Gibson and fading Hubbard on this roster. We have a Westbrook Akini and Corey Davis pairing, and we have a Christian Kirk and Van Jefferson pairing. 43.8K in salary spent, which also gives us plenty of flexibility to move up in a 50K salary cap structure and uh, find some ways to take down first place on the main slate with some of these plays in mind. With that, we are done with this week's Angles podcast. I am off to take a little break and then get to work on building some rosters for this weekend. I will see you on the site throughout the day on, uh, well, I guess throughout the night on Friday, throughout the day on Saturday, and I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday evening. Sunday evening.